All right, let's look at uh, Mark chapter 5. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Uh, one of my favorite um, ministries that happened in the life of Jesus, the woman with the issue of blood. And we'll begin reading in verse 25. And uh, what are we talking about this month? We're talking about what you're saying, what you're declaring, uh, where you're kind of putting your stake in the ground. What are you going to put up with? What are you going to have? You know, we were, um, I, I forgot about this, so this would be a good time for those pictures. So uh, I've been helping Pastor Mark for like the last four weeks in their conference center down there. And so uh, you can just start putting up some of the pictures and showing them. And uh, okay, so stop right there. So like, this looks amazing and everything, but if you just knew like up in here and everywhere, they have like a, a plague of crickets. <laughs> Infesting and... Uh, infestation. So they sprayed, which seemed to make them worse, but just not just there, like all in Louisiana, it's like crazy right now. They were in a big drought, so maybe that's why, I don't know. But uh, there's a lot of crickets. And so uh, the reason I thought about that in my message here is because, you know, uh, Darcy, who I was working with all the time, she's like terrified of crickets. <laughs> and so I had my bag there with my shirt. My, my luggage got lost, so I had to wear the same clothes for two days. And so... <laughs> The shirt that I had, I, the only shirt that I had besides the t-shirt they gave me was like sitting on my bag and sure enough, there was a cricket on that bag. Well, I'm not leaving that cricket on the bag. I'm, I mean, on my shirt because I'm thinking like, is it pooping on my shirt or what's, what's it getting all over my shirt? So, so I took my authority over the cricket and I removed the cricket. And you know, and so uh, you can go show the other pictures. So... Uh, uh, that just shows like the back, the, the back wall of the stage. That was a lot of work. Okay, go ahead to the next one. Uh, Brother Copeland uh, spoke the first night. And so uh, this is their first building, the first night. So he kind of like uh, was the special guest speaker. And Pastor Mark, who's sitting there on the front row, uh, has really been asking him to come for 30 years. And so uh, he finally came. And uh, I got to help him out, uh, Brother Copeland. And uh, he was such a blessing. And uh, okay, what's the other picture? Oh, yeah, so there's Melody and I, Pastor Mark and Trina. And so they say a big, big thank you to everybody because uh, um, I have been um, very busy helping them. So praise the Lord. I think that's all the pictures. But, you know, you're, you're not just going to leave like a, a bunch of, uh, I was thinking cockroaches and stuff like that. You know, you're just not going to leave those things because I've been in Louisiana, so that's why I'm thinking all these bugs. Do what? Oh, <laughs> so, so you can't just leave everything like it is as a believer. Like there's a lot of things that are going to come. Dad Hagen used to say, you know, the birds uh, are going to fly over your head no, no matter what, but you don't want to let them make a nest there. And so it's really up to us to take our dominion. And one of the greatest ways that we exercise our dominion in Christ is with our words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so... Uh, your words are important. In fact, you have to give an account for idle words. And uh, that's sobering to understand. But sometimes we lose because of unspoken words. Words not spoken that should be spoken. Uh, you can be uh, in an atmosphere. You can walk into an atmosphere and sense it. So sometimes uh, maybe a husband and wife have been in an argument or, you know, my children, I have four children, so believe it or not, sometimes they disagree with each other <laughs> strongly. 
And so uh, with the kids, it's easier to tell because they haven't learned um, the poker face, so to speak, as much as adults. <laughs> but you know, you can walk into a situation and you can know like harsh word, the atmosphere is almost saturated with bad words. Well, the opposite is true too. You can walk in, you're like, man, it's almost like an atmosphere of heaven. There, there, there's something tangible about it. And so uh, words will affect the atmosphere around you. And of course, they'll affect what spirits are allowed or disallowed. And so uh, we work with the Holy Spirit and then angelic spirits, right? And the Spirit of God. And uh, we, we resist the devil and he flees. So the woman with the issue of blood, verse 25 of Mark chapter 5, now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians, she spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, has he ever changed? Will he ever change? When she heard of Jesus, something happened. When she heard of Jesus, something happened. When she heard of Jesus, she came uh, behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I will be made well. You know that for she said, if you look at it in the original, it actually denotes that she kept on saying. So she kept on saying. So she, when she heard of Jesus... What, what must have she heard of Jesus that he went about teaching, preaching, and healing? And so when she heard of Jesus, she said, if I can just touch the edge of his clothes, I'm going to be whole. If I can just touch the edge of his clothes, I'm going to be whole. If I can just touch just the edge. I don't have to touch his skin. He don't have to pray for me. If I can touch just the, just the hem of his garment, King James says. Amen. If I can just touch the edge of his clothes, I will be made whole. She just kept saying that. She believed that, and she kept saying it. For she said, if I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned him around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You're a believer. You have the same spirit of faith, right? But listen how easy it is for people who believed in Jesus to just be conscious of natural order of things. But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? In other words, there is a massive crowd and everybody's bumping into you. How in the world are you saying, what do you, you know, it's like if Tim was doing that, you know, all these people touching him. And he said, who touched me? You know, we'd all be like, no, no, you wouldn't. You would be like that woman right there. But I would be like, what do you mean everybody is touching you? Like, there's like 50 people that have touched you. There was something different about her touch. But his disciples said, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? 
And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, now get this, he didn't say, Daughter, my power has made you whole. He didn't say, Daughter, my anointing has made you whole. He said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He didn't even say, daughter, my faith has made you whole. He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. And so um, she received because of her faith, and her faith uh, began to speak. If I can just touch the edge of his clothes, I'll be whole. If I can just touch the edge of his clothes, I'll be whole. Let's go to um, Mark eleven twenty two uh, and 23. Mark eleven twenty two and 23. Mark eleven twenty two, one of my most favorite scriptures, a very short scripture. Jesus said, "Have faith in God." Centenary translation says, "Lay hold of God's faithfulness." Have faith in God or lay hold of God's faithfulness. You know, the disciples were uh, amazed that the fig tree that He spoke to, talking about words again and speaking, the fig tree that He spoke to was withered away from the roots. And so the disciples were amazed at the power of his words that he could speak a thing and it came to pass. And actually it didn't take very long. And so Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, said, have faith in God or lay hold of the faithfulness of God. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart but believes those things that he says will come to pass... He'll have whatever he says. So it's interesting, if we go back to the woman with the issue of blood, you know what she didn't say? You know, it's been so long. I think it was 13 years, right? She had the issue of blood for 13 years. So somehow she's bleeding for 13 years. I don't like to bleed for like 13 seconds. (laughs) She's bleeding for 13 years. She has an issue of blood. And uh, she went to the, every doctor spent all the money that she had and still didn't get better. Actually, she got worse. Sometimes you have a condition that none of the um, so-called experts or none of the experts that are experts in natural things have the answer. Well, she could have said, you know, it's been so long. There's no hope. No doctors can help me. Now I don't have any money and I'm getting worse. I'm just going to keep getting worse. It's not going to get better. Yeah, but have you heard of Jesus? Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, the best doctors said it's not possible. The best doctors said uh, I'm actually going to die young. The best doctors said there's no hope. Well, Jesus said, have faith in God or lay hold of the faithfulness of God, right? In response to their wondering at his speaking, having power in the earth. 
And if you look in verse 23, at least in the King James and New King James, you know, he says, whoever will say to this mountain and believe those things that he says comes to pass, that's the second time he said say, he'll have whatever he says, that's the third time. So it's interesting if you look at Jesus' response to the wonder in their mind, he said, this thing is about believing and speaking. But he really emphasized the speaking. Three times as much as he emphasized the believing. Sometimes we're not really missing it in what we're believing. We're missing it in what we're declaring. What is your declaration? And so, Jesus said, have faith in God. He said, then he said, say, 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 believe. Are you getting it? Whoever will say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and not doubt in his heart, but believe those things that he says will come to pass. He'll have whatever he says. So have faith in God. Say, 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 believe. Have faith in God. What are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying? In the Old Testament, we learned that the Lord said that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. As a believer, we can connect our voice to our feelings. We can connect our voice to reasonings. We can connect our voice to our spirits. We can connect our voice to the Word of God. Well, you know, if you want to get into the higher thoughts of God, you have to go from the Word and from your spirit and speak those things and say those things. Whoever will say to this mountain? Well, what is a mountain? Well, a mountain can be many things, but one of the biggest mountains that I'm aware of is the mountain of doubt and unbelief. The mountain of doubt and unbelief. And so, um, you know, if God didn't tell us that we were healed by the stripes of Jesus, we really would have no right to believe that in such a firm way. Aside from the fact that we know he's a good God and healing is a good thing. But healing is all over the scriptures, old and new covenant. Uh, Healing is part of the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ. But just because he provided healing for you doesn't mean that you automatically have it any more than the fact that he provided salvation for every person on the face of the earth. So I had, a, I had an interesting experience when I was in Bible school and uh, I worked at a, a subsidiary of American Airlines basically doing some IT stuff for them. And um, when I was working for them, I had, I had other, uh, of course, coworkers. And so there was a, another guy who had been to some... Uh, uh, Bible school classes, and so he had a different belief system than what I had. And so uh, we were having a, a healing service this particular evening after, the, after we were going to be done with work, and uh, somehow we got to talking. I'm like, yeah, we're having a healing service tonight. And he said, huh, so you can just tell God when he's going to heal? 
And I said, I, I didn't even really think too much about my response. It just kind of came out. And I said, don't you think salvation is more important than a healing of the body? He's like, oh, yes. You know, he was very bold on that. And I said, so you think you can just tell God when he's going to save someone? And he said, oh, I, ne I never thought of that. I'm not just telling God when he's going to heal someone or save someone. He did it over 2,000 years ago and made provision for it. And anyone, anywhere, anytime who acts in faith can receive, just like the woman with the issue of blood. She didn't keep on saying, oh, this is getting worse. I'm having a terrible time. I don't know. I must have done something wrong. God must be mad at me. God must be trying to teach me something. No. When she heard of Jesus, she said, you know, faith, uh, Hebrews 11 one says, now faith is. Faith is always now. Faith's not off in the future. Faith is now. And faith is very personal. I can't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and you go to heaven because of my belief. You must believe on your own. And so, you know, she, she said, if I, I, I heard he's healing people. I heard he's good. I heard he's setting people free. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be set free. I'll be healed. Right? For she said, and sometimes where we, we find ourselves is we keep saying something, but we're more like the... Uh, Hebrew children in the desert in Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14. And I was, I was uh, going back over this, getting ready for this message, and um, I was, uh, I, I caught over in Numbers chapter 11, which I hadn't noticed before, you know, because in Numbers chapter 13, you know, they're like, well, you brought us out here in the wilderness to die, and, you know, it'd be better if we were back in Egypt, and, uh, you know, why'd all this happen? And they kind of get all stirred up. But over in Numbers chapter 11... This will mean something to a lot of you. Over in Numbers chapter 11, it said that there was a mixed multitude. I think it's 11 verse 4. Hebrew, uh, sorry, Numbers 11 verse 4. That there, there was a mixed multitude present. Can you find that one, you think, on the graphic thing? Uh, Numbers 11 4. Uh, there was a mixed multitude, and they started saying, you know, we had like fresh vegetables and we had meat and all this kind of food. And that really was the trigger for them to start whining and complaining was because of the food. Because they were having manna every day and quail. And they were, uh, you know, they were kind of like um, getting tired of the same thing day after day after day after day. <laughs> and so then you, you, you go into, um, I should make a little comment. It says, now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept. And again, who will give us meat to eat? And I think the next verse talks about the fruits and vegetables. Um, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Where's Jody? <laughs> and the garlic. And so if you know Jody, you know she likes garlic. Um, 
But now our whole being is dried up, and there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Go back to verse 4. And so he said, there's a mixed multitude. Well, actually, a mixed multitude was Egyptians that were with them. So like all the Israelites didn't have all of these melons and fresh fish and all of this all the time when they were in Egypt. But these people who were used to this life of luxury, they started complaining. And they're not even the people of God. And it affected the people of God. The people who they were around affected all of them so that they're all whining and complaining. And then over in Numbers chapter 13, you know, they start whining and complaining. And Joshua and Caleb, uh, they were so upset about this because, um, you know, they're like, yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants in the land. So they're like, sure, it's a good land, but... When Joshua and Caleb were so disturbed, it says that they cried and ripped their clothes. And he said, don't do this. If the Lord delights in us, he'll give us the land. We are well able. Let us go right now and possess the land. But it says that the, the, the multitude of people, they believed the report of doubt and unbelief, which the Bible literally calls an evil report of doubt and unbelief. So a report of doubt is evil. In other words, what's a report? Well, let me tell you, there's big grapes, but there's bigger giants. And we're like grasshoppers in our sight and in their sight. So they're measuring their ability based on themselves. But Joshua and Caleb, you know, the Lord said, I, I like this Caleb. He has a different spirit about him. And Caleb said, we're well able to possess the land. And they said, the, the, the Lord has given it to us. Anybody know what the next thing he said is? We are well able to overcome them. Let's go at once and possess it. Do you know how many of the things of God are like that? That he has provided healing for you. He has provided financial provision for you. He has provided deliverance for you. But yes, you must go in and possess, but what did, what did uh, I think it was Caleb, what did Caleb say? We are well able to overcome them. So you're an overcomer. What if you're an overcomer? There must be things that you have to overcome. So how Brother Hagin used to say it is, you know, you know, these things don't fall on you like ripe, ripe cherries off of a tree. It's not just automatically going to happen because you're born again and God loves you. Well, you are born again. God loves you. Those were the people of God. God loved them. And they had a promised land, but they had to overcome some things in order to possess that land. And one of the greatest things that we have to overcome is our thinking and our speaking. How do you change your thinking? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you can know the will of God. Somebody says, I want to know the will of God. Renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You'll think different. Once you think different, then you have to speak different. And so the woman with the issue of blood, she could have just been 
whining and complaining like the, like the Hebrew children. And you know, the Hebrew children and over in Numbers chapter 14, and I'm just doing this for the sake of time, over in Numbers chapter 14, the Lord said, I'm going to deal with them according to the words of their mouth. Maybe we should turn over there. I'm going to deal with them according to the words of their mouth. And so they said, would to God that we had died in Egypt or died in this wilderness. And every one above 20 years of age wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and died. Except for Joshua and Caleb who said, we are well able to possess the land. Let us go at once and possess it. Let us go at once and possess it. Oh, let's pick up in uh, verse 7. And they spake to all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he'll bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Verse 11, How long will this people provoke me, the Lord said, and how long... Uh, Will they not believe me for all the signs that I have done and showed them? And uh, let's see here. Verse 28. Verse 24 I had quoted, but the servant of uh, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit within him, has followed me fully. And then down to verse 28, this is what the Lord says. Say again to them, as truly as I live, says the Lord... As you have spoken in my ears, so I will do to you. Your carcasses, or bodies, will fall in this wilderness, and all that are numbered with you, according to the whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. It sure does not make me want to murmur against the Lord. <laughs> well, you have what you say. Jesus said, have faith in God or lay hold of God's faithfulness. He'll do what he said. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So you better watch what you say. And if you catch yourself saying something that you don't, that's against the word and you don't want that, well, do what I do. Lord, forgive me. I don't believe that. Here's what I believe. Amen. Uh, we all have flesh. And sometimes your flesh is tired or you just get so pressured and pressed into a corner. You notice the atmosphere changes when you say those things. But you know when you got that, that, that uh, pressure coming at you, maybe even sometimes there's evil spirits trying to push on you, if you just in that atmosphere be like Paul on the ship when it looked like everybody's life was going to be lost, and he said, wherefore, sirs, I believe God. Amen. So what are you going to do? I believe God. The Lord's making a way of escape. The Lord's making a way out. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord is leading me and guiding me. He's showing me the way. I believe something good's going to happen to me today. Amen. I believe in miracles. God still does miracles. He's going to do a miracle in this situation. Come on, sometimes your flesh and emotions pull at you, seems like with such mighty strength to get you not to say something. That should tell you right there how important your words are. 
So Jesus said, have faith in God. Well, that, that first say is command, and the last say is command, and the middle say is keep on saying it. So whoever makes a command with his mouth and keeps on saying the same thing, he'll have whatever command he made. One of the greatest commands you can make to one of the greatest mountains that show up in your life is, I refuse to have a bad attitude. I refuse to murmur, whine, and complain. God is on my side for the blood has been applied. Every need will be supplied and nothing will be denied. So I enter into rest. I know I'm blessed. I pass the test. I get God's best. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I got a, a quote from Teddy Roosevelt for you. One of my, it's probably, it is my favorite quote of his. He said, if you could find the person who is causing you the most trouble in life and kick him really hard in the seat of the pants you would not sit down for a month. <laughs> Did you get that? I'll tell you again. If you can find the person who's caused you the most trouble and kick them as hard as you can in the seat of the pants, in the butt, you wouldn't sit down for a week. Do you get it now? In other words, you're causing yourself the most problems. If you can find the person... Listen, if I could find the person, I'll take it off of you, then it'd be easier to receive that way. If I could find the person that's causing me the most problems and kick them really hard in the tush, boy, I, I wouldn't want to sit down for a week. So I would kick myself in the seat of the pants. Your life is directed by your tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Where did I tell you to go? Romans chapter 4. Uh, verse 17. Uh, I'll start with verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all. What's he saying? It is of faith What's a faith? That's how we receive the promises of God, by faith. So that it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or non-Jewish, that there is a guarantee that the promise is there for every single one of us. What's the promise? Of the grace of God coming on you. In other words, you're not saved by works. You are saved by grace. You're not financially blessed by works. You're financially blessed because of the grace of God which will cause you to do works. It is a faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those which are of the law, but also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it's written, I have made you, this is God speaking to Abraham, as it's written, I have made you the father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead or gives life to the dead, and calls those things which be not as though they were. 
God who calls those things which be not as though they were. His thoughts are higher. His ways are higher. And so if you're going to speak the same thing as God speaks about your life, about your situation, about your body, about your family, you'll also call those things which be not as though they were. Well, Abraham was like God and called himself the father of many nations when he had no offspring. What about you that have no offspring? Or what about you that have offspring? Do you call it like it is? Or do you call those things which be not as though they were? My children are obedient, and they become obedient. Well, you think like it's just a confession, right? What is a confession? Oh, that's when I'm taking a stand, and that's, that's what I'm going to have. So think of this. I think I told you that story last week of the woman who kept telling her son that he was going to end up in jail. You're out all late at night. You're just going to end up in jail. Your life's going to turn out horrible, you know. And then uh, Kenneth Hagin told her, stop telling him he's going to end up in jail. And she said, how'd you know I've been telling him that? Well, he stood in the office of a prophet, but he didn't have revelation from the Lord about it. Like that kind of revelation. He said, the reason I know you've been saying that is because of how he's turning out. So I know what you're saying over him. So what happened? Within a year, you know, she had changed what she was saying. The kid got born again, was serving the Lord, and she was a different person because she would worry about him. So what did she speak? She spoke her worries. She worried, she fretted. Because according to the natural order of things, how he was acting and the path he was going on, he was going to end up in jail. So until someone took God's word and delivered it to her in a way that she could receive, she was just going down the path of least resistance. Like, oh yeah, he's going to end up in jail. I have figured it out. If you act that way, you're going to go to prison. But what happened? She got the word of God. She, she surrounded him in faith and love. And remember what she said? He said, I want you, you know, to confess, you know, that you don't believe he's going to end up in prison. She said, well, I tried to do that and I couldn't do it. Remember that? And she said, and this is where your confession after your will comes in. She said, I will not believe he will end up in prison. That was her confession. Until she said, I said it enough that I'm like, I don't, he's not going to end up in prison. I don't believe he's going to end up in prison. Glory. Yeah. Amen. So if I say my children are obedient and they become obedient, it, it will affect me. But uh, <clears throat> I think it's uh, Henry Drummond has a book called The Greatest Thing in the World talking about love. And he said... From 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, he took and he analyzed all those um, parts of those scriptures, of those verses. And he said, part of walking in love is 
your belief of my belief in you. In other words, with my children, people rise to the level of their belief of your belief in them, especially with your children. So if I have my, I don't have one of my children in here right now, I think. So if I have my daughter and she believes that I believe she's going to turn out horrible, she will rise to that level. So my confession is not only affecting me, because I guarantee your children hear your confession, or those that live in the same house with you hear your confession. So then my confession will affect my children, concerning my children. And so my confession is like when they do something that I'm like, oh my goodness, how could you be so creative? You thought of a sin that Jesus didn't pay for. <laughs> no, that's part of my thinking confession because I'm like, well, that was creative rather than like, that is so horrible. What did you do? So then my confession is what I believe. Well, I believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. So I believe no matter what they do, Christ has redeemed them. And that if I love them with the love of Christ and correct them and have godly discipline concerning them and godly training for them, I, I actually believe train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Amen. But that doesn't mean that there might not be some bumps in the road. There will be bumps in the road. But I think sometimes the most difficult time of confession is with those that are close to you. Because you see it, you experience it, you get under the same sometimes atmosphere that they are allowing in their life, especially if they're older children. And so, but it doesn't change the word. And so Jesus didn't say, have faith in your ability to make the perfect confession. He actually said, have faith in God. Amen. What is faith in God? Well, you're turning away from anxiety, worry, everything else. And boy, you're putting all the chips on Jesus, right? You, you, everything is him. He is the way, the truth, the life. He's the answer. He will make a way. Do you know how annoying it is to self-righteous people when you just have a spirit of faith and talk it? 2 Corinthians 4.13, we having the same spirit of faith, I have believed, therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. So that when it looks the worst, you're the woman of faith. You're the man of faith. Amen. What's a woman of faith or a man of faith? You're the one that trusts God in the situation. And you let other people know, you know, Pastor Mark Hankins, we were helping him and, uh, for a long time here. And uh, when he was 17 years old, well, he was, he, he, he was a wild child. And so... Uh, he was hanging out with some friends that he probably shouldn't have been hanging out with. And so he was part of a group of uh, boys that stole a car. And uh, they got caught. And they got arrested. And it was on a Wednesday. And his dad was a pastor. <laughs> so he called his mom and dad. He's and his mom answered the phone and said, hey, mom, uh, I'm in jail. Can you come get me out? And she said, son, you know it's Wednesday and your dad has church? Just sit down and stay a while. 
<laughs> so after the service, his dad, who was the pastor, went with uh, three leaders from the church to get him out. And, uh, you know, two of those leaders that came with him were just like looking so evil at him. How dare you embarrass your dad in the church? And what kind of kid are you? And what are you doing? He's in the elevator after they had, you know, paid for him to get out. And they're going down the elevator. And one of those men put his arm on his shoulder and said, Mark, you're going to be all right. It's wonderful to see the fruit of his ministry, but I wonder how much in heaven reward that man will get. So it's real easy to find yourself as the one that's like, you're messing everything up. But if you live in the spirit, you're walking in the love of God. You believe against all odds. I mean... Uh, Mother Teresa, when she first started out to take care of the poor and those that were diseased, you know what people told her? You can't do that. You have no money. God gave her a vision, but she, there, people are saying what they see. Well, you have no money. You can't do that. You can't make that come to pass. You know what she said? Anybody know what she said? I love her quote. She had a penny, and she said, with God and this penny, all things are possible. Amen. Amen. So don't measure your situation against your ability. Measure the situation against God's ability. I had, uh, you know, when you, when you uh, get to know the word more and more, uh, you realize that everything that's happening is a fulfillment of the word. Everything people that are, everything that you're experiencing in life right now is actually the word being fulfilled. Because uh, there are promises, like in Proverbs, there's promises for long life. But in those same verses, you'll actually see it'll talk to you about this will shorten your life. This will shorten your life. This will bring destruction. You know, righteousness exalts a nation. So if you have leaders that are not righteous, what happens? Your nation's not really exalted. It, it comes down lower. And so like, you see like the word is being fulfilled you're, you're living in line with the word, either on the positive or the negative. And so, um, you know, knowing that, sometimes you can look at people's situations and see what they're doing and know, like, this is opposite of what the word says. In fact, the word says, if, if you live like this, here's what's going to be the result. But the word also magnifies the power of the blood of Jesus. Right. the power of the blood of Jesus. So you have close relationships, whether friends, families, coworkers, that you just can't get over. Well, you just take Romans chapter 3, verse 26 and have faith in the blood. I believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. Amen. In other words, I believe these children, you know, doesn't look like they'll ever change. Doesn't look like they'll ever come to know the Lord. You know, they're adults now and they got this going on and that going on. Yeah, but I believe in the power of the blood. I know that my Lord shed his blood for them to be free from that. I believe God, right? When it looks like the whole ship is going down, everything's going to be lost. 
Oh, I believe God. God's going to show up. He, it's going to be like a suddenly thing. It's things are suddenly going to change. I'm not giving up on them because I'll never give up on my God. And God is able to make all grace abound towards them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's the God of all grace. And his mercies are new every morning. But you know what they've been doing? You know how long it's been? That's fine. The mercies of God are new every morning. You know, he told the disciples, they're like, you know, you know, Lord, I, I forgive Flynn like so many times today. How many times should I forgive? Like, let me think. What would make me look good? Seven times. If I, if I forgive Flynn seven times, am I good? And the Lord's like, 70 times seven. In other words, forgiveness doesn't run out. Forgiveness is like God because we can forgive as God forgives. Forgiveness is eternal. So, so you, you never run out of God's forgiveness to forgive other people with. So I, when I forgive you, Flynn, I release you. <laughs> not holding it against you. I'm not thinking about it later. If I do think about it, if I have trouble thinking about it, then I remember how Christ forgave me. Amen. That when, his, when he forgave me, he didn't hold something back to have it over me. That he could feel like, well, you know, I remember what you did. No, we forgive just as God forgives. Totally wipe it out. Forgive and forget. And do you know I can do that? If you molested me, I could still do that. That certainly doesn't mean that I'm going to let you molest me again. But I can release you from my heart. Like I'm not holding it against you. I know I use a very vivid example, but you'd be surprised how many people are affected by that or things like that. So I forgive you, but that doesn't mean that I trust you. But I have released you. I have no bitterness in my heart towards you. I have released you. So that's a pretty extreme example. But, um, you know, you can take less extreme examples you're, we are those that forgive. It's one of the main parts of our faith is we are forgivers. So I release you from that. Doesn't mean I have to trust you, but it means I don't hold that against you. You got it? Because sometimes I've ministered particularly to ladies and they feel like you have to forgive uh, and that means that you, know, you put people in dangerous situations and that's not what the Bible teaches at all. But you forgive, you don't have any animosity in your heart. In fact, we're talking about faith. And Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have any little thing against anyone. When you stand praying, forgive. Mark eleven twenty five. So, uh, one of the great hindrances to your faith is unforgiveness. So we forgive. We wipe it clean. We have faith in God. So my faith's not in you, my faith is in him. Amen. And he will never let you down. My expectation is only on him. He will see you through. Praise the Lord, stand with me if you would. Life and death are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit of it. Don't let the devil kill you with your own mouth. Don't. Don't commit faith suicide with your own mouth. Believe God. I believe God. 
and I don't know what to do, I go to the blood. Well, I know the blood of Jesus cleanses from every sin. I know the blood of Jesus actually took every sickness and removed it from my life. It's no longer on my account. I'm free. Hallelujah. I'm set free. I know the blood of Jesus takes everything in me and perfects it according to the will of God. That, that God's will uh, will come to pass in my life, in the life of my family, my children, where I have influence. For she said, if I can just touch the edge of his clothes, I will be made whole. I will be delivered. My, that's the touch of faith. Jesus said, woman, your faith has made you whole. A lot of other people touched him. A lot of other people touched him. But we don't see any record of anybody else that touched him in that particular crowd receiving the power of God to deliver them from their situation. It was the touch of faith. When you can be in a room with 2,000 people hearing the same word and the same message, but if you receive by faith, you can be the only one that receives. But the will of God is that every single one of us receive. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. You can't, the, the way and the path to become born again or a child of God is not through the good things that you do or the bad things that you refuse to do. It is by banking your whole life on all of the good things that Jesus did, that he made you right with God, that he set you free from sin, sickness, disease. And when you believe that and make him your Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. God loves you. He knows everything about you. Every bad thing you've done and every good thing you've done. And He has made freedom for you. That you could live free, full of His life, full of His nature. That you'd have life and that more abundantly. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'd like to receive Jesus as Lord, I... I just want you to lift up your hand. I want to pray with you and for you. When you pray, God will hear your prayer. He'll answer your prayer. He'll come into your life, and you will be a brand new person. Let's all pray this together. Say, oh God, oh God I believe Jesus Christ is your son. And that he died on the cross to take away my sins and to make me right with you. Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. Thank you for loving me, delivering me, making me a brand new person. I refuse to be dominated by the lust of the flesh. I am blessed with God's blessing and it increases every area of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.